Welcome. This is an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. The topic is Good Fences Make Good Neighbors, Building Healthy Boundaries to Create Foundations for Healthy Intimacy, delivered by Jackie Jones, LMFT, during our Restoring Intimacy Conference in September 2015. Other recordings from that event are available on our website, www.healthyintimacy.net. Hi. Um, I, I first want to uh, just acknowledge that I am not an expert on boundaries. Um, or if I have any expertise, it's because I um, have struggled to acquire them. Um, and I'll talk some about that as, as we go on. This is a, a Robert, Robert Frost poem, um, Mending Wall. And as uh, the speaker in the poem goes through um, the poem, he's talking about, he's walking along a, a, a stone fence that he and his neighbor are each walking along their sides of it as they uh, work to mend this fence, anything that's fallen down or broken during the winter. And the speaker keeps questioning if, if fences are really necessary, if um, this is a really helpful thing. Um, and what I'm going to suggest is um, clearly that they are. Um, when what, what boundaries do for us is they create some safety and space for us um, to respond in ways that we want to respond rather than um, merely reacting to our fears our um, and our traumas. Um, so, I mean, just to think about, like, if uh, one common boundary um, in our physical world is our house walls. Um, if you imagine what it would be like to live in a house with no walls, um, you would be, you know, hypervigilant. You'd be constantly scanning it. You'd feel vulnerable. You'd feel like anybody could come in at any time. Um, and, and so you might react to anybody coming by with kind of an assertive or aggressive defensive stance. Um, and you'd be having to spend a great deal of your time and energy defending that boundary. Um, so what boundaries do for us is, um, like walls, they present kind of a commonly understood and blockade. They allow good things, they allow you to control what comes in and what goes out to a certain extent. And, um, and so that you don't have to be constantly focused on um, making yourself safe. Um, personal boundaries that, we, that, that each person um, can control themselves, their skin, um, uh, words, emotional distance, physical distance, um, touch, whether you allow touch or not. Um, things that you include within your boundaries, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your beliefs, your behaviors, your values, your limits, your ta talents, and, um, and your love. Without boundaries, we end up feeling pulled in all directions. We feel overwhelmed, and we want to escape. We end up doing way too much and um, getting burnt out. Essentially, you don't respect your own limitations. Uh, we are, have a tendency toward angry explo uh, explosions. It's that defensive reaction when you don't feel like you're safe, and so you have to protect yourself constantly. Sometimes these come out directly to a boundary crossing, and you you know, verbally or uh, physically attack the person coming out after you, but often they come out sideways, which means um, perhaps I'm angry at my spouse for something he's doing, um, but instead of confront him directly, I just let the anger build, and then when my kids misbehave, I unleash a lot of anger more than necessary on them. 
Um, it can also come with some um, passive aggressiveness. Um, and uh, my best example in my own life of this was when I was young as a nanny. And uh, there was a, the family I was working for constantly um, trampled my boundaries, and they, my boundaries were not good, so I allowed them to constantly increase my hours and increase my duties and until I had a ridiculous amount of things I was supposed to be doing, and I was working ridiculously long hours uh, with no extra pay. And uh, the way that I dealt with it when I was 19 was I um, made brownies, not as an outlet for my creativity, but because the wife in the family was incredibly um, weight conscious. And um, I got very good at judging exactly how many brownies to leave out. If I left out one, she would eat it and not feel bad. If I left out 10, she would eat one and wrap the rest up and put them in the freezer and not feel bad. But if I left out four, she would eat them all and be really upset. So that's kind of that's an example of kind of the passive aggressive ways that we can deal with um, the anger that comes at people crossing our boundaries. Um, Depression is also another common reaction to not having boundaries. Um, people take on too much, they become too overwhelmed. Um, if I am depressed and laying in bed, nobody can expect anything of me, and um, my boundaries are established just by that. Um, physical illness can sometimes play a similar role. So we do try and escape. Um, we tend to move towards activities that can be numbing, that can include um, Time wasters, addictions, alcohol, um, pornography, food, anything that can numb us, video games, anything that can kind of take um, the edge off of what you have to do. Um, in one of my jobs um, a while back when I had a lot of, there was a lot of paperwork involved in it and I would frequently get very, very behind in it. And my joke was that you could tell how behind I was in my paperwork um, because it was proportional to the amount of time I was spending on, on uh, playing uh, solitaire on a computer. Um, so I want to go over some, some things to consider. Um, these aren't really, one book called these elements, um, one book called them uh, principles. I don't know. I don't like those words. So I just, things to think about as you're trying to set boundaries and you're trying to do better at boundary setting. Um, the first is that boundaries have a lot to do with consequences. Um, we are supposed to learn from cause and effect. Uh, one of the problems um, around boundaries is we are not allowing the natural cause and effects to, to take place. Um, we are stepping in and um, protecting people or solving problems. Examples include um, times that people, um, you know, maybe kids get into debt and parents step up and pay off the debt, um, in which case the child has not really learned how to struggle or learn how to get out of the debt. They didn't have to face the consequences. Or perhaps there's something going on that makes me really upset and angry, but I hide those feelings from somebody. I, I protect them from my feelings um, so that they don't know what they're causing and they don't know that what their behavior is, is doing to me or the relationship. Um, I had a friend, we both had children at the same time, and she she went crazy baby-proofing her house. I mean, every, every corner, every edge in her home was um, padded. And, um, you know, she did all the normal stuff, but she did all this extra stuff. The result was that by age four, her son had had three broken arms, I think because he would jump off the couch and land on the padded furniture and face little consequence, and so not really learn that that wasn't an appropriate thing to do, and so he was taking too many risks. 
Another thing to be thinking about is responsibility. I liked this picture because I think sometimes we do feel like we're responsible for the whole world. Um, in a book called Boundaries, uh, the authors Dr. Cloud and Townsend write, we are responsible for ourselves, we are responsible to other people. So all too often we take on responsibility for other people. Um, one of the ways that they talk about this is um, we are to love one another, not be one another. I can't feel for you, I can't think for you, I can't learn for you, I can't behave for you, I can't work through the, the disappointments that your limits create for you. I can only do that for myself. Um, another kind of description, a way to think about this is, is they call it the difference between a pack and a burden. We're all responsible for carrying our own packs. Packs are your daily responsibilities, things that um, the normal things that kind of normal people are expected to take care of. Getting up, getting, you know, getting ready, eating, taking good care of your physical body, sleeping, going to school or working, whatever your, your um, current life situation entails. Um, burdens are the extraordinary things, the things that we don't expect uh, any one person to just be able to handle everything that comes their way. Um, these can include physical illness that impacts your, even your ability to take care of the normal pack of life. Um, all of those kinds of things that um, become too much and you really need the support of your people in order to um, in order to really move forward. Um, so when we are taking over other people's packs, we are not allowing them to do what they um, can and should do for themselves. And, um, and, and so we end up feeling overwhelmed and uh, resentful um, because they aren't doing that and, and we're doing it on our, ourselves. Power is another thing to think about when you, th when you think about boundaries. Um, in the sense that there's only one person in this, in this universe that you really have any chance of um, having power over, um, and that is yourself. Um, you can't change other people, you can only influence them. Uh, as parents, I think we often kind of have an illusion that um, we control our children. Um, I know I did with my first two, they were quite um, compliant um, little girls, and uh, I was patting myself on the back frequently for what a good parent I was, um, until my third kid came and I did all the same things, and um, he, he threw everything <laughs> about parenting on, on, on to the side for me. And I had to recognize that um, it's not so much that I was a great parent with my girls, it's that they were really good and compliant kids. And I had to learn and grow a whole lot of new um, abilities with my son. Um, but the point being is we, we don't control these other people. They choose to comply or not to comply. And how we present that does have a lot of impact on how they do, um, but it isn't control. Um, so one thing to kind of keep in mind is since you cannot control someone else, you can't change someone else, you can, you, the only person you can do is change yourself. So what you want to focus on in any given situation is what do I need to change to influence the outcome of this, to have at the very least a different outcome for myself, um, but hopefully a different outcome with other people involved as well. Um, a friend of mine had a... Um, a mother that had always been super controlling and overbearing, and it, she started trying to set some boundaries with her mother. And she did it first by 
saying she couldn't see her mom for a while, and that's sometimes necessary to have some good physical distance so that you can grow some strength and figure out who you are and what you are and what you want. Um, but when she started to engage with her mother again, she, she started it by sending her a list of things her mother was not allowed to do anymore. You can't talk to me about your weight anymore, uh, or about my weight anymore. You can't criticize my husband. Um, you can't tell me how to spend my time. You can't criticize my the activities I'm engaged in. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried something like that, but you can imagine it didn't go very well. Uh, Mom didn't take it too kindly. Um, and and that's not the biggest point. I mean, because I think people, even when we set boundaries well, people can get angry and upset. But the biggest point was that um, if I was to change the way my friend approached that, I would have um, had her talk more about herself. If you choose to bring up my weight, I will leave the conversation. If you criticize my husband, I will let you know that that's not okay, and if you continue to, I'll hang up. Um, that's the part of the boundaries that you control. Um, we, we actually would like it if people became really responsible and respected all of our boundaries. Um, them to stop wanting things from us. We want them to stop wanting us to be different or needing things from us. Um, but that's not even fair to them, I guess, um, to, to expect them to not have those needs and wants. Um, especially if you're talking about kids. Your kids are going to push against your boundaries all the time. That's part of their growing up. And um, so we do have to do the difficult work of setting the boundaries and, and defending them. So respect is another idea that I want to talk about um, regarding boundaries. Um, the first point is that we have to respect our own boundaries, even when others do not. Um, I have to get really clear about what my wants and my needs and what I desire, um, and I have to hold, be able to hold to that. I have to be able to say, yes, this is important, even when somebody else is telling me that it's not or that it's not fair. Um, it really is okay if people get angry about you having boundaries, um, some people have said to me, I just can't, I can't just do whatever I want without considering other people, and that's true. Um, the, the point with boundaries is that you are considering other people. You are carefully considering your actions. You are choosing and, and, and really selecting what you're doing and how you're responding to things. Um, and you are taking into consideration how it will impact others. And you are still deciding to move forward. Um, one kind of principle that's kind of nice to be thinking about when you, when you think about this um, is the concept, um, the difference between hurt and harm. So hurt is, you know, some kind of um, temporary pain. So like, for example, you go to the dentist, um, it hurts um, a lot of times. The things that the dentist do hurt. But do they harm you? No. In fact, in, in general, in the, the idea is that, that it helps you, right? Um, on the other hand, there are lots of things we engage in that don't hurt, like eating a lot, um, and yet it harms us over time. And so it's really kind of important to kind of get, you know, when I'm thinking about how this is going to, how my boundary setting is going to affect someone else, you know, um, is this going to hurt them? It'll cause them some un discomfort, some dis inconvenience perhaps, um, or is this going to actually harm somebody? Um, and I don't want to harm anybody, but it is okay to inconvenience somebody or to even irritate them or frustrate them. So here's, here's a long list of, of kinds of the kinds of mo things that motivate our behavior often. Um, 
fear of loss of love, uh, fear of somebody's anger, fear of loneliness, guilt, payback, approval. All of those, those I've named so far, are are not good motivations. If you are asking yourself why you're doing a certain behavior for somebody else or you're, um, why you're responding in a certain way, if it's any of those, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to, to step back and, um, and rethink your boundaries and rethink what you're going to do with that. Um, doing something for, for any of those reasons, um, I, I guess I, all I can say is kind of it's, it's painful. It's painful to the giver, you, and it's painful to the receiver. I don't know if any of you have been in the receiving end of um, somebody who is kind of scraping from the bottom of their barrel and kind of unwillingly or, you know, they want to give it to you, but they really don't have it to give, or um, you can tell they're giving it just because they don't, you know, maybe they don't want you to be angry at them. It's, it's not really pleasant. It doesn't really feel very good. Um, and so gratitude, desire, and love, those are good motivations. I can do things for people, but it really has to be my choice. Um, it has to be coming from a place of freedom, um, where I have the opportunity. I can say no to this, but I'm choosing to say yes. And that's really giving and doing. One of the, the things I think that comes up frequently when, when I talk with people about boundaries is the, the, the fear of being selfish. The fear of that I start doing, setting boundaries, it's, it's selfish. It's selfish to think of myself first. It's selfish to do things. But, I think you could each see, uh, you know, and maybe I, I don't, I'm not sure that each person set that ba their boundary, you know, um, in the most kind or way, but you knew when it crossed the line, right? Right? Yeah. And, um, and I, I think that we do have a sense of, of you know, when, when it crosses a line, when it's that clear. It's not always as clear, and to be honest, I think our, our, um, our ability to, to tell that gets thrown off. We have, um, I think that we, t a lot of people tend to err on the side of selflessness. And so I really like this, this quote where she talks about, um, in order to um, be selfless, you actually have to have a self. You have to, um, you know, she says, uh, become your best and most authentic self. And that requires taking time uh, to invest in energy in your own personal development, which is part of the, the process of becoming selfless. Um, the way I think about this, what this requires, is it, it requires me um, developing an understanding of myself. I need to know um, what my thoughts are, how I think about something. Um, I need to know my opinions. I need to know what my feelings are. Uh, I need to know what I desire. I, um, my, my grandmother um, lived in poverty most of her um, extreme poverty or childhood and then still not doing well in adulthood and when she was about 80 um, she came into some inheritance and this this woman who you know lived on a small farm um, her whole life um, wanting nothing apparently or it seemed um, all of a sudden said I want a ruby ring I want to go to Hawaii I want to go to Disneyland and I want to go to Price is Right <laughs> and um, Kind of sad for me about that. It, she got to go to everything but Price is Right. Um, that wasn't showing during the right time period. But um, was one. She did that when she was 80. Um, she was. Uh, she went to Hawaii at the age of 80. Um, 60, 70 percent blind. Um, I just think her experience could have been so much better differently, at, at a different time in her life. And and to be honest, she had children who could have assisted her with those dreams had they known what they were. Um, 
they would have gladly made those things possible um, with their own money if she had just mentioned that those that she even wanted anything. Um, becoming your, your self also requires taking good care of yourself on a consistent basis, taking good care of yourself physically and emotionally and spiritually and socially. Um, it also means developing yourself, giving yourself time to um, follow your passions, do things that really make you feel energized and alive. Um, you, again, it, it's that difference. When you're doing these things, when you're taking care of yourself, when you know yourself, and when you follow your passions, you actually have something to give. Um, you are giving from your abundance um, rather than from the bottom of the barrel. Um, and I, I guess the, one of the pieces there is that you actually have to value yourself. It's much easier to set boundaries if you value what you're setting boundaries around. Uh, Dr. Snarch, who is a, a sex therapist, has this um, definition of um, what he calls the solid, flexible self, and you'll see it's trademarked. Don't, don't try and steal that. Um, but your solid, flexible self, it's the ability to kind of hold on to yourself, know who you are, know what your ideas are, even when, um, and, you know, he says your spouse, but I would say anybody is trying to kind of push you in another way. I do like that he includes the word flexible because I do want to be able to kind of take in what other people say and, and I want to be able to consider it, but I, I don't want to be blown around by the wind all the time. I want to, you know, be able to hang on to my own thoughts and ideas. Um, so, anger. Um, I think, I, I felt like anger got a pretty bad rap. In, uh, having, I don't know if you've seen this movie. Even in this movie, um, he, he wasn't portrayed particularly nicely or importantly. You get to see in, in this movie the, the important role that sadness has um, and why it's necessary, but anger just seems to be kind of breaking things and getting in the way all the time. Um, I, th I think that um, one of the things that we need to really be paying attention to with anger is is that it's a signal, it's a sign. Um, it doesn't mean we have the license to just um, haul off and hit people or yell and scream, but we do need to see our own anger as a signal that something isn't right. Um, I, I guess basically anger is a result of whatever is happening not meeting our expectations. Um, so let's say I um, leave to run my kids around to all their various activities and my hope is that when I come home the dishes will have been done um, by either the kids or the husband. I don't really even care who, but just that they're done. Um, I open the door and see all the dishes there. Um, I feel well, angry is probably what I'm most aware of feeling. Um, but underneath of that anger is probably also some um, hurt, um, feeling undervalued and unappreciated perhaps even feeling abandoned. I thought we were partners in our, in our family, and apparently it, other people aren't seeing it quite the same way. And one, one kind of tricky thing about that is often we aren't even aware of our own expectations. Maybe I didn't even realize all the dishes to be done until I walked in the house and saw that they weren't. And if I don't know I want them done, I, cl I clearly didn't ask anybody or suggest that anybody do them. I didn't let anybody else know that that was my expectation. So that's coming back to that idea of you really need to understand yourself and, and be clear about what, what you want. Um, so as you're starting to set boundaries, um, Dr. Julie Hanks, who we saw a little clip of or a little piece of from before, has a, a really nice analogy um, about anger that 
or about setting boundaries that I really like. She talks about that there's three, um, three possible ways of setting a boundary. One is the doormat approach. So just laying flat and letting everybody walk. Um, yeah, letting um, things just, you know, taking on everything everybody asks you to do, trying to make everything right for everybody, taking care of everybody else's emotions, um, being taken advantage of. Uh, the second approach she describes is the sword approach. So um, often if you've been a doormat um, very long, you will stand up and start using a sword to defend your boundaries. And when I think of a sword, you are intruding in on somebody else's boundaries, trying to um, not just defend yours, but trying to drive them back in a way and trying to change what they're doing in their space as well. Um, and then the third approach, which is the one she recommends we take, she calls the lantern approach. Um, so. This is, a, this is what I really try and do when I'm trying to decide what kind of boundaries I want to set with people. She says, think of it as you're holding up a lantern and you're showing somebody your thoughts and feelings and desires and hopes and needs. Um, you know, so that could be, you know, I'm really hoping, um, I, I can't do everything in this house. You know, I can't run all these errands and get everything done at home. And so I'm really hoping that somebody, you know, you, husband, will pitch in and, and help out here. Um, I'm not telling him he has to do it, and I'm not saying, and if you don't, I'm going to be really mad and pout for the rest of the day, or, um, and I'm not trying to strong arm him with the sword. I'm just telling him what it will be like for me, what, you know, whatever way he, you know, goes. Um, another part of the lantern that I really like to kind of keep in mind is it's, there's a stillness to it, where the sword intrudes into other people's space, um, and the doormat withdraws, the lantern holds firm. So um, one of the ways I think about this, or one of the ways that thought is helpful to me, is that I may not get the result I'm wanting. I may go and come back, even if I, my husband that I just done, he may not do it. Um, but um, that doesn't mean I stop wanting it, and doesn't mean I, don't, I stop letting him know that that's what I wanted or that I was disappointed. So I hold firm to those. This, you know, I don't just say, oh, well, it wasn't really that important to me anyway, because um, that's really betraying myself. I hold firm on that. But I also don't go in yelling and screaming and telling him you know, what a blankety-blank he is for not doing what I wanted him to do. Um, and we'll talk about maybe some ways what, what you might do. Um, you know, but I, mean, I guess I, I should talk about that now. I mean, I, what, what, I, what holding for, firm might mean is saying, I really was hoping this was done, and I'm you know, I'm feeling abandoned and hurt by the fact that it's not. Um, what are we going to, what can we do about this? How can we, how, how can we make this work? Let's move to a little bit about kind of how do we set these boundaries? Um, what are kind of the steps? So the first part is really um, recognizing the symptoms. You have to recognize your anger, your frustration, your hurt, um, Whatever those feelings are that are coming up that are telling you that your, your boundary has been crossed, think of it as your security system. Somebody enters your house without your permission, an alarm goes off. This is like an alarm. Again, it doesn't mean you have to call in the SWAT team um, to take, take them out, but it does mean you have to do something to defend that boundary or to, to, re, to re-clarify that that boundary is there. Um, you know, going back to the emotions piece, that it's you know, with even with our own emotions, it's it's uh, it's to write them off, and um, and with other people's too. Um, 
my uh, when my daughter was about six, I think, um, she was really upset about something that was going on. Um, I can't remember what it was, but she was just super mad and super angry. And I was trying to kind of, you know, I guess I was trying to be a therapist and trying to um, help her to see, like, when the, in the scheme of, scheme of life, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, it was, you know, not something to, to go into a, a huge upsetness about, a, you know, like as if life was being threatened. And um, so I was telling her that. I was saying, you know, on, on a scale where zero is like nothing's happened and 10 is, you know, your life is threatened, where do you, where does this fall? And she said, it's a 12. And, um, and I said to her, you, you do not feel that upset about this. And, um, maybe this is the, because she was raised by a therapist or, um, but she, she put her hands on her hip like this and she said, you cannot tell me what I feel. And um, so I had to back up and tell her that was true. Um, but I like that image. I, I kind of call up that image sometimes when I'm uncomfortable with how somebody is responding and I really want them to respond differently. Um, I really want them to feel differently. And um, I don't control and I don't know and I, I you know, I don't um, understand what their experience is. I, I only can know my own. So. I guess in that circumstance, what I really needed to be more more aware of was why I was feeling so distressed that she was angry, and focus less on getting her to calm down and more on me getting okay, so that I could feel less anxious, which I believe helps her feel less anxious and helps her regulate and settle down. But because I wasn't really even paying attention to myself, I, I really couldn't help her. So the next step is to really kind of get clear on what the need is and, and what you are, you know, can do. Um, this is a, a good place to um, kind of brainstorm. Uh, there are lots of possible solutions to problems. Um, this is a good time to kind of bring other people into the mix at, at times. Not every problem you can bring people into the mix, but you can bring the people who are considered, uh, you know, who are influenced or affected by this or who you are having a problem with. Um, you can help them be part of the solution. You can invite them in. Um, you can, um, you know, help be, you know, be clear with them about what your needs and wants and hopes are. Um, and, 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 and then try and think of what is the best way for us to meet this need. Um, You know, um, since we're here with the, the sex addiction clinic, I, I'm thinking of, of quite a few um, boundary-setting things that, that happen in, in those kind of circumstances. And one of the things I really try and, and help um, people to do is, um, as you're setting boundaries, it can't always work this way. What, what you really want to be focused on is, is kind of what you need, um, not what the other person has to do, so that's what I mean, I think, when I'm saying brainstorming. What you're really wanting to do is, is be open to a variety of ways to get that need met, rather than really fixating on it has to be this one thing and this person has to do it for me or I'm not going to be okay. Um, I, I just think that when, when you know, I, I just know my own reaction. When I'm told you have to do something this way, I don't care that I am... 48, I, act, I feel like I'm 13 and I, I just want to say absolutely not, that is not going to happen. And, um, and so 
I, I think other people feel the same way when they're told, you have to do this for me or I'm going to die. They, you know, I mean, either they want to rebel from that or they want to comply, but, but for the wrong motivations. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, we'll try and um, kind of talk, I mean, maybe we can brainstorm as a group um, some, some possible boundary problems. Um, when I'm standing up here, it gets hard to think of, of clear examples, but maybe you guys can come up with things that in, at the end we can kind of talk about possible ways of handling different boundary problems. Um, the next step is to, to decide what your backup plan is. And some um, things on boundaries, they call these consequences, but what I don't like about the word consequence is it sounds like I'm in, in, um, needing to met out a punishment for what just happened or didn't happen. And, um, and, and I don't think that that's very effective. Um, sometimes there are kind of consequences that are involved in it, um, but that's not the focus for me. The focus should be on really getting my needs met. So if I've stated a need and the person I've come to is unable to meet it, I still have that need and I still need to get it met. Um, and so rather than focusing on how to strong arm um, that person to do what I want them to do, I really want to focus on how am I going to get that need met in some other way. So, you know, going back to the example of, you know, the housework not getting done and, um, and I really can't do it all by myself, um, I might you know, come up with a plan, and, and this has some consequences. Um, so I might say, if people aren't pitching in to help out more, I will be taking money out of our entertainment fund, our family entertainment fund, to pay for housekeeper. Or I will be going ahead and cleaning more, but I will be having less time to spend on creating the meals then. So we are going to be eating more soup and cereal, um, and and I'm not going to have the time to cook. Um, or... Um, or perhaps if the dishes aren't done, I just won't be able to cook the next meal. And I'll fend for myself. Um, and, you know, if I have young kids, maybe I'll throw them some cheese and crackers and apples. But I'm not going to cook in a kitchen that looks at, that where I, I don't have access to all the things I need. Um, and, you know, you can keep brainstorming and coming up. This is another good place for brainstorming because you don't want to get stuck on there's only one way to solve this problem. Um, one of the, my key words is always when I hear myself think that, there's only this solution or that solution. And sometimes we call that being between a rock and a hard place. And we use that to justify one of whatever choice we made. Well, it was, you know, I either had to do this, which is a horrible, terrible thing, or I had to do this, which is not that bad, but of course better than this, so of course I did it this way. Um, and whenever I hear myself using that kind of thinking, that is, that is absolutely my signal to myself to stop whatever I'm doing regroup, rethink, get out of the argument, whatever I'm in, and and really sit down and try and set a different boundary and brainstorm some other better ideas. Um, I try and tell myself between this rock and this hard place, there have to be hundreds if not thousands of other possibilities. And surely I'm um, creative and smart enough to come up with um, at least three of those. Um, and so I really try and um, push myself to do that. So the, the, the next part is, is considering the risks. You really have to think through what might happen if I set this boundary. And you need to decide if it's something that you're willing to face. Um, because I, I discourage you, for, I discourage people from taking steps that they can't follow through with, that they're really not willing um, or able to stick with.
um, it just makes you feel like a failure. I would rather somebody set the tiniest boundary um, and complete it than a really ideal, perfect boundary and, and get disappointed and frustrated with it and, and walk away from it. Um, and, you know, one thing to keep in mind is it, there, often people do react harshly to the boundaries that we set. Um, the family that I was a nanny for, I, I went back and worked for them when I was a little bit older. And um, as I set boundaries and said, no, I won't come in at that time. No, you told me you would be home at 6 o'clock every night, and I, I need you to be home at 6 o'clock because I have a life. I have things that I need to do. Um, and, they, you know, they would come back with me, well, we're earning money. We're working during this time. What are you going to be doing? Um, and that's not really your business, and that's not really part of the plan. These were the things that, this is what we agreed on, and my life is important, just as important as your life. Um, and so if you have other needs, you need to figure out another way to meet them, because I can't meet them. Um, I was told, um, what was it I was told? I was told I had become hard, hardened, I think is what the word that they used, um, and I was told I was being selfish, and um, at, at one point she burst into tears because um, her life was so horrible and, and, and overwhelming that I had to meet this need for her. And it was, I, honestly, it was really hard to kind of stay um, firm in that, that I wasn't going to do that. Um, but it was really preferable to making brownies for her. It felt much better um, in the long run. Um, you know, another piece is like when I started setting boundaries with my mom, um, my mom once said um, that I had gone from being her nice daughter to her mean daughter, um, which was a little painful to hear. Um, but I, I chose to say that means I'm succeeding. <laughs> if I'm getting a, a reaction from some people, that means I'm succeeding. Um, and um, I will kind of add that um, more recently she has called me her daughter who's not afraid to say what she means. So you also have to find some way to communicate those boundaries and let people know what they are. Um, I think this can mean a lot of different things. In some situations, it's going to mean clearly sitting down and saying, things have to change. This is unacceptable to me. Here's a plan that I've come up with, or you know, what kind of things can we plan? This has to be different. Um, sometimes it's not as clear as that. Sometimes it's um, just saying what you feel. Um, there was this one, um, well, I'll go back to my early years of marriage when I was frustrated with, um, I don't even remember what I was mad about, but I know that I was awake at about 3 in the morning thinking about it, and so decided to get up and do some housework. And I know it, this had been frustrating me for some time. I was just really roiled up about it. And so um, I'm out cleaning the kitchen, slamming cupboards, shoving pans in. My husband comes out and says, I just remember the, the tired on this, you know, this just newly woken up, and he's like, what, what are you doing? And I said, I'm cleaning the kitchen. And um, he said, what's wrong? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and um, it took a long time for him to pull out it from me what it was that I was mad at. And it's what's funny looking back on that is that I honestly was not connecting the way that I was cleaning the kitchen <laughs> to those feelings. I, I, I don't know that I, I, I think I thought that they weren't really coming out. <laughs> um, so fast forward um, many years, and um, there was a night that um, I was, well, this, is, this was happening frequently, but um, I, as I was putting our kids to bed, as I was doing all that thing, I suddenly realized my husband was nowhere to be found. 
And um, when I peeked into the bedroom, he was actually asleep. Had not, you know, he was not telling, he didn't tell me he was going to bed. He just kind of left, which, again, that abandoned feeling of, like, you know, one of my thoughts was, like, if I did, I couldn't do that. I would never just go to bed and assume that somebody else was going to take care of everything here. Um, and so this one night when this happened, I was just really frustrated because we had talked about it several times. And um, so I was really mad, but he was already asleep. I'm not going to wake him up um, and, and stab him with anything real or, or metaphorically. Um, so I, um, I just finished what we were doing. The next day, we, you know, we left, we went to work. Um, we actually had a date planned, so we went out on our date. We had a lot of fun. And as we are driving home, I remembered how mad I was at him. And I thought, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil this. We've had a nice night. I don't want to spoil it. It was not a big deal. It was, you know, it was, and it was last night. It's not tonight. And, and I just, but I made myself. I, I was quiet for a minute and I just, I said, you have to do this. And so I said, I was really mad at you last night. And he said, I know. <laughs> um, and it led to this really nice discussion. Um, in that case, he didn't know I was mad because I was throwing stuff around. He just knew that I was going to be mad by his behavior. Um, which I thought was a, was good for me. It was like a step forward for my, for me. Um, he, um, what it led to a discussion about was how he feels when he's exhausted at night and knows I need help and knows I, knows I deserve help, but he knows he can't do it. And he talked about feeling, um, ashamed at that moment. He can't even look me in the eye and tell me that he needs to go to bed because he knows I deserve more than that. And so he just sneaks off and goes to bed. Um, and we kind of brainstormed some other ways of doing that that would feel better to me and would, you know, at least try and meet some of, you know, some of the needs we both had. Um, um, and I guess, I guess if I was going to say what the boundary we came up with was, is that he, he just has to tell me, like, I will try not to be super upset and angry, but when he has to go to bed, he just has to let me know that he's crossed my boundary if he disappears without talking to me about it. Um, and I think one of the things that, that, that that's important to me, though, is because it cheats me of the opportunity to be mad at him, <laughs> to be mad to his face. It, it, he, is that weird? I don't know, maybe that's weird. I really like that um, he has to actually look me in the eye and tell me that he's going to bed and see that that's hard for me. And then he can go to bed. I don't care. Um, that's, and I get it. He, he's, he's a night, he's a, he's a morning person. I'm a night person. So I get it. It makes sense. It fits with actually our, our personalities and our, our physical needs. And um, so even if it's not perfect, it's still. Um, sometimes when you're setting boundaries, you're not. They don't get communicated um, verbally or pre-planned with the person. Um, but you do it with your feet. Um, you know, I there was one time that my my father-in-law was known for being pretty harsh at times, and. Um, there was one time I walked into a room when we were visiting, and as I walked into the room, everything got quiet. And I didn't know what had happened, but clearly people, something had happened, and they were particularly uncomfortable with me being there. Um, I think because I was known for getting mad at things that happened there. Um, and um, so um, all I could tell was that it was something around my um, four-year-old daughter. And so at the moment, I just kind of swooped her up in my arms and left. Um, you know, basically just, you know, I didn't know what had happened, but it was my way of kind of defending. Whatever happened wasn't okay, <laughs> I can feel it. Um, and what it kind of turned out to be was that um, 
my father-in-law had wanted my daughter to hug him, and she had said no. And um, he had um, yelled at her and told her that he pays for her preschool, and so she needed to hug him. And um, so it was just this instinctual, I just knew that I needed to get her away from there and, and make it clear. And so my father-in-law came to me later and apologized um, for, for losing, for, you know, for, for getting so mad and yelling and scaring my daughter. And I got to share with him why I didn't like what he had done. I was able to tell him, my daughter doesn't even know preschool gets paid for, let alone who pays for it. And second, if she doesn't want to hug somebody, she does not have to hug somebody. And, um, and you have to earn her hugs, not demand them. And, and um, you earn them by being a safe person and, and respecting her boundaries. Um, and what was really kind of fun about that, um, and again, I, I, have to, I, I always look for these times that show that I'm, I'm getting better at this because I've been so bad at it in the past. Um, and um, what was fun was one of uh, his, his daughter came up to me later and said she'd never seen him apologize to, in, to anybody, and she'd never um, seen him sit through somebody telling them him while they were mad. And um, so I really, I don't know, I know I'm patting myself on the back, but it's really because I like to see the progress that I've made. So sometimes, you know, the boundary set will be just more in the moment. You know, your sister-in-law, um, you know, gives you parenting advice and you, you know, in the moment say, you know, I appreciate, I, I know you have good intentions, but I, um, advice isn't what I'm looking for right now. Um, I was just sharing a story. Um, when I need advice, I will ask you what I, for what I need. Um, and that's kind of hard. I'm going to spend a couple minutes, uh, have a couple slides on just one of the most um, powerful boundaries and ways of kind of expressing boundaries um, that I think is really hard, and, and that is no. Um, studies have actually shown that, um, that, so your brain reacts positively to good stimuli, right, to nice things that happens. It, 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 it reacts and it likes it. But one of the things that they found is that your brain reacts wildly to, um, to negative stim stimuli, and it, it reacts particularly negative to the word no. So just saying the word no to somebody creates an emotional reaction and physical reaction for them. I mean, the, the truth is no hurts. Um, it, it does hurt people. Um, and yet it's, it's often what's absolutely necessary. Um, one of my clients told me that one of the thoughts, that one, something that she had read somewhere was that um, every yes that you say is a no to something else. We just aren't as clear about it. And um, so, I, so it's just really important to be really thoughtful about what we're saying yes to and what we are going to do because it does limit what else you're supposed to do. Um, Dr. Brene Brown um, has a great clip um, on, on the internet where she's talking about um, a phrase that she uses. Um, she, um, she has a, a ring, I, she says it spins, um, and when anybody asks her to do something, she spins her ring three times, and while she's spinning it, she thinks of the phrase, choose discomfort over resentment. So, um, choose the discomfort of facing this person and saying and disappointing them or even making them angry over my own resentment. And she uses an example of, you know, she goes to drop her child off at school and the, you know, somebody there says, hey, can you bring some cookies tonight to the, to the meeting? 
And she'll go, sure. And, you know, then she says at home that night, I, you know, my kids want me to be present with them and I would like to be present with them and instead I'm in the kitchen making, you know, these cookies going, I hate that school, I hate that person, I hope these kids choke on the cookies, you know, and, um, and that's that kind of bottom of the barrel giving when, when we really can't or shouldn't be, um, and don't want to be. Um, that's that giving that doesn't feel good to the giver or to the receiver. Um, so that, that phrase is one that I hang on to a lot. Choose discomfort over resentment. Because one of the things I really kind of like, because sometimes, sometimes I'll have a thought like, I can't say that to them because they'll be mad. And then I remind myself, but if you don't say that to them, you will be mad. Right? And, um, one of the things I try and remember, I don't know how they're gonna feel, really. And I'm not in charge of how they feel. And I'm not in, you know, how to handle that is up to them. But I know I will be mad, and that will be a problem. So I need to take care of myself first, and then if they're mad, we can deal with that. We can work through it. And just kind of as, as you're thinking about your kids and their boundaries, um, allowing them to say no, and, and allowing them to, and helping them to learn when it is okay to say no and when it's not, or how to appropriately say no, um, is one of the best tools that you can give them for their boundaries. Um, whether it's telling them, no, they don't have to, you know, let somebody touch them if they don't want to. They don't let, have to let somebody hug them. That if you're tickling and, and wrestling and they say, no, I'm done, they are done. Um, if they say no, at, you know, to something else, and uh, you know, my difficult son that I mentioned before, no is, the, is his first word to anything. Um, you can say, you know, hey, do you want to go to the park? No! Um, okay, we get at the park, he's having a fun time playing. Um, hey, let's go get ice cream. No! You know, just anything he'll say no to. So it's, it's been a struggle over the last nine years of his life to help him to understand um, that that's not really what he means and that he needs to be more careful with how he uses that word and, and more thoughtful and really know what it is he wants so that he can, can use it well. Julie, Dr. Julie Hanks has a nice list online that you can find of um, helpful phrases for saying no. Um, I can't give you an answer right now. Will you check back with me? I want to, but I'm unable to. I'm not able to commit to that right now. I like that one because it kind of leaves it open. I just, I don't know right now. I can't say yes, and so I'm going to say no is what you're saying. And, you know, um, but that might change. So I understand you really need my help, but I'm not able to say yes right now. Um, I'm sorry. I mean, you can have empathy. You can understand that you're not meeting someone's needs. No, I can't do that, but here is what I can do. And I just don't have that to give right now. I, I want to touch on really briefly just the, the times when... Um, you know, your needs and somebody else's needs don't up because you can't meet everybody at the time and they can't always meet yours. Um, and the example um, that that came with that was um, another example with my husband when um, I had a friend come to town and I don't, you know, it was a friend that I hadn't seen in a really long time and so when she was there for three days, I just, we just, I didn't work and I didn't cook dinner for anybody and I wasn't around and 
We, um, my husband texted me um, at one point and said, I'm having a really stressful day at work. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, look, this is what I'm having for brunch. And I took a picture and sent it. And, um, and so after my friend left, uh, I come home from the airport and go into the office. And my husband just, he didn't really let loose. He's not really like super angry, you know, one to, to kind of really be super angry. But he did say, I really needed you. This was the worst week of my entire work career, and you were not there for me. And my first reaction was, um, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I've let him down. I should have been there for him. And then my second reaction, and these happened like this, my second reaction, I deserved some time. I never get free time. You're a, for we've been thinking that I should have given up my free, my time to, to meet your needs. And, um, and luckily I was, neither of those, I was able to kind of quickly move to the third reaction, which is, we're both right. Um, and that was the one I went with, and I said, you're right, I wasn't there for you, you needed me, um, it was hard, you know, that was very hard for you, and I deserved some time for myself. I deserved to, to have this time where I can enjoy myself, and it's really sad that our needs didn't line up right now. And... Um, he told me later that that wasn't extremely satisfying at the moment. He would have much rather I cried and told him I would do better next time, I think. But um, in the long term, it was what he needed to hear. So I'm going to kind of end with this Viktor Frankl quote. Um, Between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And for me, that is what boundaries do. They help us to plan that space. They help us to use that space and so that we can plan that response, so that we are behaving as the people we want to be and our best selves rather than our scared and, and traumatized selves. I have an, a, a question that's you know, been bothering, been on my mind. I have a sister that's disabled, and she keeps bringing males into her life uh, that have you know, boyfriends in succession that are rage addicts and that have been in prison for raging and I'm in a situation right now to where uh, her boyfriend uh, blew up at me yet they want to use my car they want to you know they're basically both either mentally disabled or physically disabled they're um, so I don't know how to and I grew up in a, in a family also to where there was a lot of don't talk about and so, for me, I'm, I'm working with the therapist right now about some of this stuff. So I don't know what to do about this situation because she doesn't want me to talk to him about things because he's a rage addict. And I have a hard time because I can't be honest about what my needs are. And I feel bad because my sister's disabled. So I have all these, you know... That's a, complicated. Very complicated, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> Really complex, um, but I, I think that you have some good, it sounds like some good gut instincts that you shouldn't have to um, have this person be part of your life just because your sister is part of your life. Is that? It's just that, you know, if, um, you know, their cars broke down because they can't provide for themselves because their life is just messed up and they can't work in community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and I and I know that my sister came from extreme trauma as a child, 
and has a lot of physical disabilities too. So, um, you know, it's like I want, I want to do work on myself and be, you know, hope and be a part of a story. But if, if she keeps being in a situation where she, she basically can't handle her own emotions, she goes into yeah. rage herself. So right. she almost matches the rage and brings it to her in our relationships. Yeah. So, um, my therapist says don't have any expectations and you need to hold yourself boundaries and not be around her if that's what's going to be okay for yourself. Yeah. You know, so. And is, is that a struggle? It's hard to do that. It feels bad. It is a struggle because she's always been there for me. Right. And so, so I might be thinking about ways that you can be there for her, um, mm -hmm. that keep you safe. So it might mean, I'm not willing to let you drive my car, but I will, you know, I will take you to your doctor appointment as long as he's not with us. Um, I, or it could be, I, I don't like the way he talks to me, and so I won't be a part of that. And I really don't like the way he talks to you and the way he treats you. And so when he's around you, I can't, I can't be there. Um, because it, that's just not good for me. To yeah, see. I truly feel he is not capable of hearing. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about talking to him. I'm yeah. actually talking about talking to her. So I've already instinctively, mm -hmm. it's just like, this guy can't hear yeah. me. So, so. so you're wanting to find some ways to kind of be there for her, and so you just got to figure out what that is. Um, but I think your therapist is right on that you have to kind of hold back. And mm -hmm. you think of it as the, the hurt versus the harm thing. Yeah, they may not have a ride to someplace they want to go, but long term, they're not having to increase their work potential or face their, you know, limitations because you're step if you're stepping in to solve those problems for them. You have been listening to an audio recording from the Northwest Coalition for Healthy Intimacy. For more information or other recordings, please visit our website at www.healthyintimacy.net. Thank you for listening.